0: Welcome Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. Thank you for joining us on Episode 9 Bravo, the continuation with Army veteran and NKU alum Jesse Neek. We pick up his history with the invasion into Iraq. Where'd you end up in Iraq, then?
1: so our first uh stop was so we we flew from fort campbell kentucky uh down to i think it was atlanta Uh, we flew commercial we were on a a uh, um a flight just by ourselves but we flew flew united uh airlines um when we flew from atlanta to uh, germany we refueled in germany and then flew to kuwait city kuwait and then we spent the next month in camp pennsylvania kuwait so um Climate in Iraq is a little bit different than in here, isn't is here in northern Kentucky? So we needed time um, to acclimate to that that difference, um, and also the uh, you know the leadership was still setting up really what that initial invasion plan was because we were part of the initial invasion force. So I think they were still um, developing that. Um, so that's uh, that's why our time in Camp Pennsylvania was a month. Okay. And then uh, after there, you end up in. Then the uh, then the order you get the order to, to move out. Um, we loaded up into a big giant caravan of, of trucks and you know all all manner of, of military vehicle. Uh, my scout platoon uh, rode into Iraq or invaded whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. in a canvas Humvee. Nice uh, there canvas. Were, there, there was no armor right. on any of our vehicles. Our armor when we uh, when we. Um, invaded the country of Iraq if that's what we're calling it uh, were two stacks of sandbags on the side of so so a canvas Humvee for those don't know is basically like a regular cab truck Mm -hmm. right so you've got a cab up front for your driver and then your most senior uh, member of your team and then everybody else is in the back in that truck bed with with you know nice little flaps of canvas over you Um, so we lined either side of that truck bed and we lined the floor of the truck bed with two layers of sandbags, and that was our armor going into Iraq. Crazy. Uh, we had we had a multi day multi day um, uh, trek into the country, uh, and the first city that we came to um, was An Najaf. I've got this uh, this really cool painting that I wish I could shout out the artist of. Um, so for the first day and a half that we were outside of Najaf. It was a bit of a stronghold at that point for uh, for some of the uh, some of the opposing forces, so we had unlimited air assets and then us on the ground too. So we just hammered that city for a day, day and a half, and this this uh, picture that hangs on on my wall uh, in my office at home kind of depicts that that first major uh, battle of the war
0: for uh, for at least our our side of the the. Um, the uh, invading force wow yeah that's crazy and uh it's it's funny to think back anybody that spent time after that especially in iraq afghanistan it was all armored and everything but when people forget when you first went in that's wasn't prepped wasn't prepared and you know, it, like it, you said it was sandbags and
1: Go. Yeah, we, we weren't yeah. necessarily prepared to be fighting a war on two fronts. Because remember, right, we were already in Afghanistan mm-hmm. after what had happened September 11th. So, yeah, it's, it's funny when when initially talk to folks and talk about being in Iraq. Um, they're like, oh, did you, did you worry about IEDs, this and that? And I said, no. no. And, and honestly, we didn't have, other than that, that first big battle in Najaf, a lot of the forces were kind of running for it. We, we had Big Brother out in front of us. We had, uh, we had tanks in front of us, right? So by mm-hmm. the time they had rolled through town, they had pushed out most of the opposition. Um, but yeah, we were, we were kind of just moving in and taking ground at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it very quickly for us became a humanitarian effort. Because you know, after there there were there were a few you know good battles at first, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, once once they realized that we were the superior force, um, Saddam's forces kind of they crumbled pretty quickly. Uh, the Republican Guard, I think, you know, they while they were good soldiers, they they weren't prepared for for the force that we brought in. Um, so our our mission very quickly, um, I want to say a month or so in, wow. um, turned much more humanitarian than than the rest of of the war became as as you know they as they rallied and then you know some of the the freedom fighters and and the, the Taliban and the others started to then kind of suck into the country
0: so i'm just curious um, how long was your kind of initial deployment on that first go around
1: so our orders for that deployment was a 12-month deployment
0: okay so it was 12 months it was 12 months okay
1: um, I didn't make it 12 months right um, about let's see if I if my math is correct I think that's four four months into that deployment um, you know the story but I'll, I will tell it for the uh, for the sake of the listeners um, we were on a mission so so let me back up a little bit. So we hit An-Najef mm-hmm. and we kind of rolled into the country a little bit more, hitting a few other cities along the way. And then at a certain point, they took the 101st and kind of broke us in half. So one half went to Baghdad to help secure there and help, um, you know, uh, run missions out of there. And the other half, including me and my unit, we went north to uh, around Mosul. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing missions up there. Because we were getting good intel that there were still, you know, there were still meetings going on. There were still, you know, kind of bands of resistance here and there. Um, so on June the the, the night of June second, morning of June third, two thousand and three, um, I was the um, I was the lead guy on on a mission. Uh, we were we were going to uh, clear a cave system. Um, so I was to be I was leading us there. I'm, I'm the guy. As soon as we hit the ground. I'm finding my azimuth on my compass, and I'm walking us to where we need to go. Um, so we loaded up our helicopters. Uh, we were at uh, Q West Airfield, um, just outside of Mosul, uh, and we flew. It was probably maybe a half-hour, 45-minute flight, um, one of those ones that's actually burnt into, uh, burnt into my memory. Uh, we flew with the doors open. Um, and I can I can vividly now as I'm sitting here across from you talking to, to you see the heat lightning out in the distance. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely beautiful, super loud because the doors are open. But I'm I'm sitting you know like you and I are sitting across from my sniper partner, and then you've got uh, three other sniper teams in that um, in that helicopter as well.
0: And it's a Black Hawk,
1: right? And it's a Black Hawk, yes. Yeah. And so we were the lead helicopter. There was also a, a second bird too. So we probably. I want to say 20 soldiers or two between the two. Um, we get the um, we get the notification from the flight crew that we're about um, 15 minutes out. Um, so at that point, you start to check all your gear and whatnot, and make sure everything's tied down. For me, it's making sure that um, that my compass is ready to go. It's, it was a little GPS unit, but um, making sure that's ready to go. Um, and then you get the the five minute out. So that's when seatbelts come off. And that way you are ready to go the minute that helicopter hits the ground. Because for folks that don't know, when you're flying a combat mission, that helicopter needs to be off the ground in under 10 seconds, really. Because that's, that's around the time it takes, um, it takes someone to acquire a target like that and then to put actual accurate suppressing fire on it. Um, so we had under 10 seconds to get 9 or 10 guys out of the helicopter. So it's a, it's a quick thing. It's something we practice all the time. Uh, being in the 101st, we were very lucky to have the 160th SOAR, that's the Special Operations Aviation Regiment, there at uh, Fort Campbell with us. So we trained a ton with them on on um, on landings and um, extractions and whatnot. Um, so it's it's something we train all the time. You go off feeling, and because that night for us, uh, a lot of times you're landing at night, and in particular this night, we were um, it was dark. And as we got close enough to the ground, uh, we became browned out. So for folks don't, don't know that term, that is the rotor wash of the helicopters sucking sand up off the ground. So remember, we're in Iraq. We're in right. the desert. And so it creates this weird brown atmosphere to where you could stick your hand out in front of your face and not really see it. Um, so at that point, then, the flight crew is going to instruments only for the landing. Um, and so... Now I'm ready to go to lead my team off of the bird as soon as I feel that feeling of struts hitting ground. Well, I felt what felt like that feeling, Mm -hmm. and the crew chief said go, and so I went. But unfortunately, we hadn't hit skids on the ground. We hit an air pocket, which is a hot pocket of air, and we flared up. And when I went out leading my team out of the bird... We were 45 feet up in the air. Yeah, crazy. Uh, thankfully, my sniper partner, again, sitting across uh, from me as you are, um, as I stepped out, he realized that I didn't hit the ground immediately. And he reached and grabbed for uh, my ruck strap because, you know, it was about that kind of that bang-bang timing. Um, he was able to grab it, but the force of me and 100 pounds, you know, in a ruck and whatnot, it actually dislocated his shoulder, and he had to let go and I fell that 45 feet. I say thankfully because he then kept everyone else in the helicopter. In the trail bird, the, the guy first guy out, so there's two ways to get out of a helicopter. One is the way that I got out, which is more tactically sound because you're going out with your gear, and you. so as soon as I hit the ground, I can go. Right. The guy behind in the trail bird, which hopefully probably saved his life, he took a little bit of a lazier route and threw his rucksack out because basically he would throw it out and then go get it and then go. Right. But that's kind of one more step. So, But in doing so, when he threw it, he realized, ooh, that didn't hit the ground. And he stayed in. So no one in that second bird went out. So I was the only one out of 20 yeah. or so that went out that night. Uh, they realize it's an old shit moment. Okay, this is, you know, mission canceled. This is basically a medevac now. Right. So they all land um, and, and spread out and look for me. Uh, uh, one of my best friends said he kind of just knelt and looked out at the horizon and saw this big hump on the horizon, um, and came and got me and, and took me back to the uh, back to the, the bird that that I stepped or fell out of, whichever right. way you want to say it. Yeah. And uh, and that that started a pretty long uh, recovery process for me. Uh, started with 24 hours in uh, the cache there in Iraq Combat Support Hospital. Um, five days after that in Launsdorf, Germany. Uh, so they could stabilize me uh, long enough to then make the 12-ish hour flight, I think, back from Lonstell to Walter Reed in Washington, D.C.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for sharing, first of all. And yeah. uh, I appreciate you going through and in great vivid detail, quite honest with you. How long were you at Walter Reed then before you could... Get med boarded, or what was kind of that next step?
1: Yeah, so uh, believe it or not, I was not med boarded. Um, so <laughs> well, that's a good thing, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. it is So <laughs> so, um, so I I guess I'm gonna say so we're a weekend, right? So that so I was at Walter Reed probably the second week of June, um, and was there for uh, for three weeks. Okay. Um, when I first got there, so so my injuries so to back up to that way we can explain a little bit. Um, when I landed when I hit the ground. I think there are two things that saved my life. Mm-hmm. So number one's a big guy upstairs. Right. He's a big fan of the infantry. That's the reason the sky is blue. Right. Um, and number two, I think subconsciously. Do you remember that PLF thing I was telling you a little bit uh, back on on you know how we we were taught to hit the ground when we we're uh, parachuting? I think I subconsciously did a PLF onto my left side, gotcha. because uh, the extent of my injuries. So think about this. Think about a hundred and ninety pound guy with another hundred pounds of gear falling unknowingly out of a helicopter 45 feet. Right. Um, I fractured my pelvis, I ruptured my bladder, and I tore my urethra. No head injuries, no back injuries, no broken extremities. Super lucky dude. Right. That's um, right. So that night in the cache in Iraq, they fixed my bladder. So I've got a pretty gnarly scar from where they did that. Uh, but then for the next week until I got to Walter Reed and got to surgery, I have fractured pelvis hmm. so they, they had to be really careful in kind of you know moving me back and forth but so I think I think it was the day after I got to Walter Reed is when they actually did the surgery to put the plate and two screws in uh, to secure the pelvis back um, they did a really good job because I run marathons now awesome so I you know I gotta I gotta say thank you to uh, to the the crew there um, but yeah so I spent um, another two weeks there at Walter Reed um, and then they flew me home to uh, Blanchfield Army Medical Center, on post at Fort Campbell. Um, at the end of, end of June, beginning of July, it was probably beginning of July, because I do remember that the day I got out of the hospital was on the 4th of July. Oh, wow. And I thought that was pretty damn cool. That is awesome. And yeah. I, I had, in, you know, in talking to friends and my sisters came down to visit and we had a big blowout 4th of July party at my house. And I was in
0: my wheelchair kind of just rolling around everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, and so then you were able to finish up your enlistment and the whole nine yards, and decide to get out. The, yeah, the so that was
1: time. so that was year three of my three year enlistment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I so that happened June of two thousand and three. Um, my my enlistment period was through July of two thousand and four. Um, remember, we were still my unit was still on that twelve month deployment, so they were all still in Iraq, running missions, doing whatever. And so for me. I had a really good support team in the rear detachment uh, commander and his group. Um, I wasn't required to come in every day to PT and whatnot because I was still having to go to the hospital every day on post to do my own physical therapy right. to learn how to walk again. Because, so when I got out of the hospital, I was in a wheelchair, and then as I progressed out of that wheelchair, I was still non-weight-bearing on my left leg exactly. to allow that, um, that, that pelvis uh, repair to, to take. So I didn't actually take a step uh, unaided until I wanna say late October, early November of 2003. Wow. So my basic, my, most of my days were going to physical therapy at the hospital and then going home and laying around. Um, and so uh, then I, I had my final surgery in December of 2003. I had to go down to San Antonio uh, to have my, um, uh, the urethra repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was done. I uh, had a catheter for a month. Uh, but in January, when the catheter was taken out, um, I was given the go to return back to, to standard duty um, wow. with, with my unit. Um, some guys had already started to come back for various schools, sniper school, uh, airborne school, whatnot. Um, so I very slowly started to get back into the fold with them, uh, with PT and whatnot. Um, wasn't the PT stud I, I used to be. Uh, in fact, I couldn't even pass a PT test because when they had cut through my abdomen uh, to fix my bladder that night in the cache, um, they cut through the wall of the abdominal muscles. So I was unable to do the I think it's 42 was the was the minimum uh, sit ups. So um, that kind of went on until you know, and it started talking to my command. Um, you start to do I think it's 90 days out. You start to do your um, uh, uh, your your pre-paperwork and your counseling and whatnot before you um, before you decide to come off active duty. Uh, so I met with a, a recruiter then um, and kind of talked through things. Um, they told me that the Army would love to keep me in in a different capacity. Um, told them if I was gonna stay in the Army on active duty, the only thing I wanted to do was be an infantryman. Um, but eventually I let them talk a little bit of sense into me because I didn't want to immediately separate. Um, so that's when they signed me up for, uh, for a reserve uh, unit uh, as a drill sergeant down in Moorhead, Kentucky. So, wow. um, so I think so. July, fourteenth, uh, two thousand four. I separated from active duty, and a couple months later started um, started actively drilling with uh, with that the hundredth division down there in Moorhead. Wow! And yeah. now running marathons. So. Now I'm running marathons. So. Yeah, I'm I'm training for um, training for number seven right now. Wow, that's great! Yeah, the the twenty fifth anniversary of the Flying Pig is this year, and
0: awesome! And I'll be doing that with some friends. That's great. Well, yeah. uh. I, I'll let you answer this question if it's yeah. a question. But uh, thank goodness for uh, immediate aid in country, yeah. And then the follow up through Luns Tool, Walter Reed, the the medical um, through the joint services. I'm guessing yeah. worked all the way till they got you to San Antonio, and everything got yeah eventually done.
1: I, I have nothing bad to say about uh, about anywhere that I was or any of the care I received. I, I know. There were a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that, that was said about Walter Reed back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't experience any of that. Um, you know, my my worst experience there was I was actually there at Walter Reed the same time that Jessica Lynch was there, um, okay. and for some reason I, I don't know if I guess they were protecting her. But anytime she would come in to do physical therapy, uh, they would close us all off in our own little bays and take her back through uh, the uh, the therapy room to to a private room. And once she was back there, they would open things back up and let us do it. And so that's not even anything bad to say, right? It was right. just I think, I think they didn't necessarily know how to operate with, you know, with everything that was still going on with her right. and us. But other than that, my, uh, my care was incredible. Um, like I said, I, I have the, the physicians to thank for the fact that I'm a marathon
0: runner. Now. Right, absolutely, absolutely. From when you left the service... And it could be from active duty or from your reserves and everything that you kind of just wish that your family or friends kind of knew about your military service.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for I think talking to, to family and friends, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult sometimes to to help them understand what daily life is in the military. Um, at times, it can be quite different than than everyday life here in the civilian world. But then there are also many other times that are you know, that are just standard uh, you know office paperwork kind mm-hmm. of day. So it's it, it's not necessarily this this glorified you know uh, role that you're living, um, but it's something that's necessary. And it's something that I think no matter who we are, we all miss some of that that mundane and also some of the really cool times that we had too absolutely yeah
0: yeah and um now you came back to nku used some of your gi bill benefits if correct me wrong get your correct. bachelor's yes uh M. Freeman, M. freeman paratrooper um to go on accounting route yeah because you had you said in high school you had that kind of that banking thing and you did accounting one and kind of did that yeah but you you decided to do that and that's where you've been since is that correct or how did you get into NKU again going to accounting
1: yeah so um, you know when when I uh, was separated from service in 2004 I moved back home mm-hmm. uh, again I'm, I'm a Kentucky boy I tell everybody I've left twice and I've come back twice I think so you know. I'm meant to be here <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, NKU, I haven't, you know, I said I grew up in, in Campbell County. Mm-hmm. NKU's, you know, kind of been a part of my life, um, and it just made the most sense for me uh, because, again, I was working full-time, and the campus is about halfway between where I was working and where I was living, um, so it, it made a ton of sense. Um, and, yeah, that, that, uh, that class in, in high school that I took um, kind of just, you know, piqued my interest. Like I said, I'd always been really good in math. Um, And believe it or not, there's actually a lot of really smart people in the military, too. And even in the infantry, specifically. Um, And even further, when you get into the sniping community. Um, So math had continued to be a part of what I did, even while I was serving. Um, So yeah, I did the the six-year plan here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Got my bachelor's in accounting. Um, So I used that to then get me to where I'm at today. And I'm in the finance world now. I'm I'm doing financial analysis out at at the CVG Airport Authority, um, senior and I'm,
0: financial. Yeah, yeah,
1: of, and, yeah. Um, and and I really love it too because that that foundation of accounting helps me think about the accounting side and the implications, the accounting implications of what we're trying to do, um, and and then I can I can be that liaison between the doers, the operators, and the accounting team, and wow. and so that's it's a good perspective for me to have when I'm analyzing these these various things that we're trying to do out at the airport
0: right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I would definitely say that you're very successful um, in your civilian role now as uh, what you do at CVG, and even prior to that as well. Do you have any kind of tips for students that are here at NKU now, or maybe thinking about coming in to college anywhere? Um, what were just kind of those those little tips that you might have or success stories that you, you could relay?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think it's you know look seek out and then this is this is also for veterans uh, coming off active duty as well. So I, th- I think I think it's this is a good uh, this is a good message for incoming students and as well as um, including veterans coming off active duty. Seek out available resources. There there are resources out there available to you. There's a Rusty Martis at the Veterans Resource Station. There's um, you know there and so it's funny enough a group of uh veterans and myself uh when we were here in uh in you know around 2006 2007 2008 um there weren't a there wasn't a veterans resource station mm-hmm. uh there was an incredibly helpful young lady who worked here at the school who was kind of a liaison for veterans but that was about it right. as far as veterans resources yeah. so what did we do we created one, awesome. so we uh, we we were co founders of what has now become Norse Vets, mm-hmm. um, and what operates out of it. We were we were NKU Vets back at the time, but um, we just kind of created that that foundation of I think what you know the Veterans Resource Station is today. Absolutely. Um, so you know anybody incoming now should be um, thankful that we have a great resource like this at at uh, this school. Um, but there are so many resources out there uh, available to you. Um, just, you know, my, my message is, is seek those out. Um, they're, they're out there. Um, Rusty has, has my cards, and he'll have a stack of them in the Veterans Resource Station. Um, I'm the chairman of Veterans Camaraderie for the Barracks Project, mm-hmm. which is an awesome nonprofit here uh, in the Northern Kentucky area. Um, but there are always folks out there. Absolutely. There are always um, resources. You just need, it, it can be frustrating at times trying to seek those out. But they're out there and and don't be don't be afraid to ask for help because there are so many people out there that are willing to ask to, to offer
0: help absolutely and we'll put uh, in the show notes we'll put uh, a link to the Berries project but we'll put your card and information um, out there as well and it kind of leads me to, to what I want to talk about next so it was a great segue and we didn't plan it so <laughs> uh, but you had mentioned when, when we sat down originally, and not to throw you on the spot here, but you had a, a particular quote that kind of was resonated to exactly what you were talking about and which is going to kind of lead me to my next point. Do you, do you mind sharing that with
1: No, us? not at all. So I, I have this, um, and I, I'm still, um, I'm, Gen, I'm Gen X, so I still like paper. Right. Um, but I, I subscribe to some of these kind of uh, daily devotional emails and, and other things like that. Um, and one of those emails that I got at the beginning of the year was 63 things to be um, thankful for this year or to think about um, this year. So I have that printed off, and it it's, it hangs about eye level uh, next to my monitors at work. Um, and each day I kind of just look look over and you know just you know pick out one or, or whatnot, you know whatever stands out. And today, when I looked over and I even highlighted it too because okay. it's it's a really good one I think to keep in mind. And a Norse yellow, by the way. Yes, north. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it says, sometimes the best way to solve your own problems is to help some, someone else with theirs. And that just, and that, that really stood out. It was funny enough that coming here today to talk to you about, um, about that, because I, you know, I, I think you and I, um, we recorded a, an award-winning, award-winning. Uh, v- video a, a few years back. Um, but we, I think we really talked about that mission there. Yeah. um in that a
0: lot but um yeah. and it's okay not to be okay yeah everybody's not okay but everybody will be okay but there's so many resources like you said out there um you mentioned a few already yeah and uh, but you can always reach out to the veteran resource station we'll get you connected directly connected to whatever you may need in north kentucky or regional area um, if not local then state and federal as well so don't, don't be afraid to reach out um and, and do what you do and you're you know, there's no secret, I, I'm a pretty open book as well, and uh, I fell into the nonprofit world working with veteran services because I struggled tremendously at my transition, mm-hmm. uh, getting out and everything, and I kind of rekindled my passion, for lack of a better way to say it, yeah. when I got back working with veterans and, and helping them transition properly. And we're able to do that here as a tip of the spear yeah, absolutely. <laughs> at the yeah. veteran resource station because 75% of all service members will go to higher education and try to figure it out. Once they get out, yeah. but you have a program that you're launching. Um, it's a special um, event, for lack of a better term, that's going to happen really soon on February thirteenth. Yeah, at seven p.m. I believe. Um, can you share a little bit of what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, and and really, it's it's really cool because this um, this feature film that that we're holding a private screening of, and when I when I say private, it means it's for for anybody that comes with this group, right? right. So we'll. I think we'll get the, um, we'll in get the, the information show notes out well. in the show notes. Absolutely. But um, it's about finding your mission for veterans. So that's, I think, one of the hardest things that we all struggle with getting out is when we're in, our mission is given to us. And we're always seeking it. And we're always looking to fulfill that mission. When you get out and you come to the civilian world, it's just not there.
0: Right.
1: Um, and we really struggle with it. I... I went into a deep, dark place mm-hmm. when I got out. And for a number of years, I probably hurt a lot of people, hurt myself. Um, and I, I didn't really start to heal until I started helping others. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it was volunteering for those, for different things. It was, um, it was starting NKU vets, Norse vets. Um, it's just all these things. And so this film uh, that we're screening on February 13th, so it's the day after the Super Bowl, so most folks tend to take that day off. And so you'll have the day off and you can come join us. Um, it's down at Newport on the Levee. Um, and it's called, um, it's the backstory, So it's a true story of how Jay Glazer from Fox Sports and Nate Boyer, a former U.S. Army uh, Green Beret and NFL player, uh, formed the organization MVP, merging vets with players. Um, Jay is is... Uh, very vocal he's he's out there all the time he's he's an incredible dude he struggles has struggled since childhood with anxiety and depression and all these things and and he's still become this successful guy that we all see on Fox Sports every Sunday and he's like the insider right and then you've got this guy Nate Boyer who was to your to use your word tip of the spear mm-hmm. he was a special forces guy right and not what not only was he a special forces guy this dude was in the Special Forces when he was at the University of Texas playing college football, and then he became an NFL player after that. Um, but the, the back story of, and, and I won't go too much because that's what this film will show, but it, it shares Nate's struggles, and it shares Jay's struggles, and it shares Jay kind of seeing this connection between his NFL buddies who, when they were done with their service... and and, and the league, and the veterans that he came to know, he's like, wow, these guys share so many similarities. They don't have a sense of purpose after their time in the military or in the league, and so they're really floundering. And he's like, well, what if we get them together? They all have physical activity in in their past, right? So physical activity is a good thing. And physical activity also brings out emotions in you too. Mm -hmm. So he's got this genius foundation of... Bring them together, we start this gym, we start this organization, we work these guys out physically, and then once we've done that we've opened them up, then we talk about all this crap that we're all dealing with. Amen. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's not, it's, you know, I think, I know a lot of veterans think, I can just work out and admit everything will be better. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and there, there's not, one size doesn't fit all for anything. So, it's not to say that this program works for everyone, okay. but it's a great resource too because you've got these two different pieces that you're bringing together.
0: That's very, very cool. And, um, you know, missiontransition.org is a nonprofit right out of Mason, Ohio. has been doing transition studies for over 20 years now. And what they found is about 78% of all military members when they leave the service struggle some way and like you said it's not a perfect fit but there's so many organizations out there that we mentioned before if it's guitar for vets if art for vet it's uh, um, red white and blue team red white and blue uh, the Barracks project has uh, camaraderie events there's all kinds of opportunities out there you just got to find the right one that f- makes sense and fits for you but we're all in this together and we're all here for each other. Yeah. And that's what's really cool. So I'm really excited about the event. Like I said, we'll get the information and all the words and our contact information, the show notes. Any last thoughts that you might have?
1: This is, this is st- the kind of things that we need to do for each other. Amen. Um, and, and so for any veteran that's out there struggling, Rusty knows and, and that I, I'm available. Reach out to me. My, my contact information will be in the Veterans Resource Station. Rusty can even include it in the show notes. Um, we've all been there. You're you're not the only one going through uh, what you're going through. Um, it feels like it in the moment. I know I've been there, um, and it really sucks. And I, by the way, I'm not cured. Right now that right. I'm doing all this cool stuff and and you know and feeling great, um, I'm not okay. I'm not okay on a regular basis. Right. Um, I lost one of my best friends last year right before Christmas, mm. and I still cry fairly regularly about that. Right. Um, but we're There's somebody else out there struggling with what you're struggling with, mm-hmm. and there's also somebody out there who has struggled and can really help out. Just seek them out. It's You don't have to do it alone. And, and as Rusty said before, it truly is okay to not be
0: okay. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect way to end this. Thank you again for all you do and for being here today. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate Thanks. it.